What's up, everyone? Welcome to The Grow Life. This is Jordan, your host. If this is your first time tuning in, don't worry, you haven't missed much, as this is only episode two, and episode one was mostly an introduction. And if this is your second time tuning in, thank you so much for joining me again. Welcome back, of course, and I hope today we can get into some really useful content. So grab a pencil and a notebook or whatever you use to take notes, and let's jump into today's tutorial, if you will. Okay, so I did say we were going to start from the very beginning, and that means talking about the cannabis seeds themselves, how to store and germinate them, how to care for them during their brief but very delicate seedling stage. Uh, we're not going to talk about strains like sativa, indica, or hybrids just yet, or get too deep on genetics in this episode. It would take up a long time, at least two or three episodes all by itself. And right now, I'm just trying to get everybody going right out the gate. So, in the cannabis plant's life cycle, in general, we're going to break it down into six stages. Germination, the first one which lasts anywhere from two to seven days and is basically when the seed itself sprouts a taproot. Then the seedling stage, which lasts about a month, depending on strain, or honestly, just how fast your plant grows and reaches the point where it has four sets of regular serrated leaves. And on into the vegetative growth stage, followed by everyone's favorite, the flower and bloom stage, getting to watch those frosty resin-filled buds pack on trichomes. Then the harvest, consisting of cutting down the plants, trimming, either wet or dry, trimming or both, and drying them, followed by curing the final crucial stage, which is often overlooked, but nonetheless is very real and helps determine whether or not the medicine you've grown will taste good, maintain its terpene profile. Cannabis terpenes are a natural component of the plant that gives them their unique smell and flavor based on strain. Whether the flower will burn smooth and be all that it could have been instead of opting not to cure out of impatience, generally, and ending up with subpar smoke you can't really enjoy the benefits of. So, Let's say you get your hands on some quality seeds, and we'll talk in another episode where you can get seeds from, quality genetics, and how to store them until you're ready to use them. For now, we're going to assume that somehow you've managed to get some healthy, regular seeds, and you're ready to get started germinating. The best way to germinate a cannabis seed um, I'm not going to lie. There's lots of different ways to do it. Um, but I'm just going to tell you about my way because it's the one that has worked best for me. So cannabis seeds need only water, heat, and air to germinate. They do not need extra hormones. That's only if you're cloning a cutting, in which case you need cloning gel, like Clonex or Foop clone gel, or something like that nature. And Again, that's something we'll discuss at another time. But since we're not covering cloning in this episode, we're talking about germing straight from seed. Seeds will sprout without light in a range of temperatures, but properly nurtured seeds germinate 
again in two to seven days and temperatures from 70 to 80 degrees Fahrenheit. Temperatures about 90 degrees Fahrenheit and above screw up the entire process. Like everything in life, there are both pros and cons to starting from seed versus starting from clone. But since we're talking about seeds in this episode, let's talk a little bit about the advantages of growing from seed. Number one, plants from seed grow a better taproot than clones. They're also very portable. I mean, let's face it. You can store seeds for a longer period of time, and it's hard to hide a clone. And even if you could, it's not going to last very long. It's going to die. And two, seeds are most likely free from disease and pests, including viruses. But on the off chance they are infected, we will be using a 0.5% hydrogen peroxide to water solution when pre-soaking our seeds in order to kill any potential threats right at the source. Finally, seeds are the product of sexual reproduction, which we haven't even touched upon yet. So hold on to your seat, folks. It's going to be a bumpy ride indeed. Uh, so therefore, they inherit genetic characteristics from both their parents, versus a clone, which is an exact replica of its mother plant. This makes for adventurous, quote-unquote, pheno-hunting. Write that down. You'll need to know that for later. Pheno-hunting. Since growing from seed <laughs> means we are not sure exactly how the plant will turn out, we could drop 10 beans on the same strain in every single cultivar or variety of plant will have different distinguishable characteristics. This is where the pheno hunting comes in. Pheno, short for phenotype, which means the total amount of characteristics displayed by an organism, in this case the organism is the cannabis plant, under a particular set of environmental factors. Oh, phew, I know. That's a lot to take in, right? And a lot of it sounds the same. They are similar. But it's good to be able to differentiate between these industry terms and specific scientific terms. Most of all, it's important to understand that pheno hunting is essentially looking for the plant with the best of the best characteristics in order to continue a strong breeding program and bring quality genetics to us growers. All right, back to germinating our little seed. So we've gotten our seed from a viable source, from viable breeder. Uh, we've determined, determined rather, they're probably viable by their overall size and color, hopefully a little dark. Their markings, mottled or stripes, is a good sign. Obviously intact, not cracked. Mature-looking seeds that are, as I said, darker in color, tan and brown. Uh, what's next? What do you do next? My tried and true way that has literally germinated 98% of the seeds for me. First, I pre-soak my seeds in water for 24 hours. Some people go so far as 48 hours. I'm not a fan of that. I think it's too risky to drown the seed. Um, in this stage, especially, you want everything to be completely balanced in as perfect harmony as you can manage. I might grab one of my old orange medicine bottles that I've collected zillions of over the years, or have a little bottle. It looks like a spice bottle 
with a clip on it and rubber on the underside of the top. So when it closes and clips, it's like hermetically sealed, airtight. Fill the bottle halfway or two-thirds with water, room temp, maybe a little warmer. And remember, I said either the temperature range for the water has to be 70 to 80 degrees. Well, 85 is 85 degrees Fahrenheit is the perfect temperature. Seeds don't need hormones as clones do. And they also don't need light just yet. So you're going to want to store this little container someplace pretty dark. Immediately upon hitting the water, the moisture starts to penetrate and permeate the protective shell of the seed within seconds. Once inside, that moisture continues to wick in to activate dormant hormones that have been lying in wait for this very moment all along. Ah, <laughs> the miracle of life. So in a few days, hormones activate and send enough signals to produce that tiny taproot. The root and then the stem start to emerge upwards to bring this little plant into the world. Remember, though, we don't want to drown this seed before it has a chance at life. So we're only pre-soaking it for 24 hours, basically to give it a quote-unquote head start at getting those hormones activated. It's possible within 24 hours that the taproot may emerge a little from the seed shell while it floats in the water. But if it doesn't, don't be disappointed, kids. It doesn't matter. Again, this step is not even something everyone does. Some people go right to the paper towel or cheesecloth. I'll get into that in a second. Others even skip that and go right into the growing medium, all which I've done before and work just fine. Okay, so I just do it this way because I found for me, there's a higher success rate. A bit about water. It's better to use distilled water. Even still, it's better to use the reverse osmosis water as it practically contains no dissolved solids and a higher concentration of dissolved solids or salts in the water will pull moisture from the seeds, which isn't the best thing. However, you can use tap water and I do. So there you go. And I know this is a big question and we will later get into bigger discussions about water quality, PPMs pH, and the like, but for now, we're just worried about getting a little moisture in the seeds to activate those hormones. And there is one thing we can do proactively to keep the water we use pathogen-free. You mix it with a 0.5% hydrogen peroxide solution. Now, at the drugstore, hydrogen peroxide, peroxide is generally 3%. So mix one part hydrogen peroxide for every five parts water to create that 0.5% solution. Others use a 2% mild bleach or fungicide solution when pre-soaking their seeds. You could also use compost tea, which is organic, fantastic, and something we will talk about in greater detail in another episode. For now, take note of it. Feel free to look it up or shoot me a private message. Say, hey, Jay, what the fuck is up with compost tea? Or when the seeds are placed on the paper towel cheesecloth, I should say paper towels or cheesecloth, which brings me to the next step because I haven't really talked about the paper towels yet. All right, so it's now been 24 hours since you've set your seed to soak in that small container 
of water or water hydrogen peroxide solution. A good sign of a healthy, viable seed is if it has dropped to the bottom of the container and stopped floating on the top. Sometimes you can swirl it around and it'll drop to the bottom. However, if it hasn't dropped to the bottom and it's still floating, again, it's not a big deal. But if it has dropped, it's just another sign that you have a nice viable seed. Uh, you might have gotten lucky and the taproot has already started to emerge from a cracked seed. In which case, you could choose to skip this next part and simply place the seed taproot down in its starter growing medium. Soil or sterile mediums like vermiculite or rock wool, in horticultural trays, and so on. But if there's no taproot, then this is what you should do. And even if there is a taproot and it has emerged in a 24 hour period, it's probably not long enough and you'll want another couple of days of delicate care before dropping it into the medium. So what do I do? I take a paper plate, three pieces of paper towel or cut up cheesecloth. I then lay down a piece of paper towel on the plate. Some You don't have to use a paper plate. I just do wet it with the water. Again, whether it's water or the water peroxide solution. Uh, use my stubby little fingers or preferably a sterilized tweezer to pick up the seeds one by one, placing them gently on the moistened paper towel or cloth. I keep them spread apart so they have enough room to grow. Uh, I place one or two layers of paper towel on top of them and then wet those. You don't want to drown anything. You just want to keep it. Then I find a nice, warm, dark place to put them where I know they'll be safe. I check on mine, possibly obsessively, every few hours to make sure it hasn't dried out and that the seeds aren't stuck to the cloth. Mostly, I want to make sure there's a thin, even layer of moisture on the whole paper towel, top and bottom, keeping the seeds wet. That's what I was trying to say five seconds ago, but couldn't spit it out. I'll do this for one to seven days or however long it takes to get the taproot about a half an inch or more. But this usually doesn't happen in, I mean, it usually happens much quicker rather than seven days. Unless the seeds aren't that great, you're probably going to see them grow in two to three days. Um, but anyway, as soon as I've gotten a decent sized taproot, I'm ready to drop it in its medium. Because while I'm waiting patiently for the taproot to grow, I'm also on the side preparing my seed starter and getting it ready to roll. There are a number of ways to start seedlings, but this is how I do it. I use the Sun Blaster Mini Greenhouse Kit with light stand with sturdy plastic trays, and I put my Root Riot Moistened Seed Starter plugs in the trays. You can get all this stuff on Amazon. I prefer the Root Riot cubes as they're made from organic materials. They allow for faster, more vigorous rooting for seedlings and clones. They have perfect air to water capacity for healthy roots. And new plants transfer really easy into soil or any other medium. Medium. Blah, blah, blah. Medium. Once you've outgrown their plugs. Once they've outgrown. What the hell's wrong with me today? Okay, Jordan. All right. So as soon as a seed germinates and it's placed in its medium, taproot facing down, it will need light. 
you want a light that's close to the plant, but not so intense that it burns the little leaves. The thing about that Sun Blaster mini greenhouse kit, it's awesome. I'll put a link for it in the episode description. Again, I am not sponsored by anyone. This is literally episode two. I don't have a sponsorship. Nobody's giving me anything. So I'm just telling you what I use and what I think is some of the easiest stuff on the market. This is this particular set has everything included except the Root Riot plugs, which you'll have to buy separately. But it comes with the T5 fluorescent light and stand. Most growers use, at this stage, the fluorescent T5 bulbs. These are the best choice because they are not hot. They are perfect to start plants under as you can place them very close to the new seedling, about six inches above the canopy where they should be. Um, you know, seedlings are at their most vulnerable stage immediately after they germinate. Stem rot or fungal infections tend to attack when the medium is kept too moist or the small tender roots are deprived of op oxygen. So you really want to get this part right. That's why I suggest the Sun Blaster Mini Greenhouse Kit. There's other ways to do it, and I'll mention a couple of other ways, but this is, this is how I wound up doing it after trial and error doing other things. I dip my Root Riot plugs in a water or water 0.5% hydrogen peroxide solution. I put them in the trays. Trays, they come in any number of cells from like 6 to 72. So just use however many you'll need for the number of seeds you've germinated. Then I carefully place my seed, one per plug, taproot down. You'd be surprised how many times I've messed this up, I swear to God, and it started to grow the wrong way. Others grow, other growers have told me, should be no problem. It's nature. They know which way to grow. This is true for the most part, but I can tell you for a fact that I myself have experienced where the taproot was facing up and I wasn't paying attention and it continued to grow upward until the tip came out, burnt on the light, and, you know, it, it was all over before I even noticed it and it was done. So, anyway, after all the seeds are nice and cozy in the plugs, I give them a couple of drops of water and then I'll cover it with about a half inch of growing medium. I grow in organic soil, so I'll just put a little light cover over it. I'll explain why later. You don't want to cover it so much. And then I will put a humidity dome on top. Now, if you're not using a kit with a humidity dome, you can be creative and use things at home. For example, I sometimes start my seeds in solo cups, in which case I'll just use a smaller clear plastic bathroom cup on top, or I'll cut a plastic water bottle in half. There are numerous DI, I was going to say DUI. Jeez. Anyway, <laughs> there are numerous do-it-yourself, that's better, techniques and everyday things around the house you can use if you don't want to invest in a seedling starter kit. The reason I suggest the kit, because if you can scrounge up the money for it, they range anywhere between 30 and 80 bucks, depending on brand and what all is included. It's like your very own portable nursery. It's so much easier to move around as one complete unit. If need be, it's just so much, so much easier. 
All right, so you've got your seeds all nice and cozy in their starter plugs. You want them moist, but again, you don't want them to drown. To maintain a proper balance is essential to the root health and therefore the seedling health. From the second we dropped that bean in water to pre-soak a few days ago, the seed needs to receive some moisture. It's part of the ongoing life process and requires a constant stream of moisture to transport nutrients, hormones, and water. But also, we don't want to drown. So as a, it's a back and forth balance. Quick side note, at this stage, your seedling does not need any added nutrients or food or hormones from you. It has everything it needs stored up in its shell and the starter leaves called cotyledons. Do not add anything other than a little water, preferably distilled or reverse osmosis. Uh, letting germinated seeds suffer moisture stress now will absolutely stunt seedling growth, and that is just the worst. It's the worst time. It's always bad to stunt growth, but the seedling is it's at its most vulnerable stage, you know. Um, so before you put the humidity dome on top of the tray or over the solo cup, you could put, as I was saying earlier, about a half an inch of fine growing medium over the top of the hole where the seed is. You don't want to pack it in too tight because it'll be difficult for the seedling to push its way through that. Just cover it lightly to avoid light hitting the tap root because you'll see in the little cube that the hole that you put it in, once you put the seed in it, light might be able to still enter and hit that taproot. So just in case you want to put a little bit of soil or cocoa or whatever it is you're going to use on top of that. In a few days, you fudge, you, I, I was going to say you fudge see, you foot in a few days, you should see the first set of leaves. The first set of leaves are not necessarily the first true leaves. The first set of leaves are called cotyledons, and they push the cover of the seed aside. Very soon after the cotyledons push through the seed, you'll see two small serrated leaves growing on a right angle of the cotyledons. You'll leave your baby sprouts right where they are until you see a few sets of real serrated leaves. Or if you gently lift the plug out of the tray and see the roots are coming through the plug, it is definitely time to transplant into a bigger space. Obviously, do not expose the roots to the light for more than a few seconds. If at all, it's just no bueno. By the way, cotyledons contain the rest of what this new seedling will need in terms of food and nutrients. It's only once the true leaves appear that the seedling can even start photosynthesis. So you don't start feeding this seedling until two to four weeks after the seedling has sprouted. Some growers wait until the leaves have yellowed to even begin feeding. I'm not a huge fan of that. To each his own, it it can't hurt. You start, you let it yellow a little bit and and then use quarter strength solution to start and continue as the feeding schedule allows. And as long as it's, you know, the new leaves are green, continue on that way and you keep adding a little more and so on and following the feed schedule. But the feeding schedule is a topic for another day. 
Holy crap, we have covered so much, and so much has been left unsaid. Uh, please check out our blog for more details about the germination process, about seedlings, clones, and so on, and everything else in between. Next time, we'll discuss a bit more about germination, probably the tail end, the tail end of the seedling stage as well, how to care for clones, and preparing yourself for your first grow by making sure you have all the tools you need from trimmers all the way up to grow tent and how to create a master checklist of things that you'll need to do on the daily to keep your garden healthy. Thanks so much again for tuning in to The Grow Life. I'm Jordan and I will see you next time. Yeah.